Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Football Unfocused, the loosely football-based podcast that um, myself, Mark, and my friend, colleague, and long-time comrade and associate, Matthew, uh, knock out on a kind of weekly, when we can be asked, basis uh, to discuss all things related to football, uh, a sport about which Matthew is absolutely obsessed, aren't you, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just dominate, dominates your life, doesn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, no, it does, it does, yeah, yeah. I mean, this podcast does, at least. But... Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> but it's interesting because the the bits about this podcast that dominate your life have nothing to do with football, do they? It's just the fact that you edit it and knock it out on a Saturday morning. <laughs> the actual content, you, you rarely... Do you, I mean, would you describe yourself even as a contributor? <laughs> <laughs> Answer the question. Um, yeah. I mean, I contribute non-verbally. Mm. I mean, I host it. Yeah, <laughs> you do. You do. Every week, uh, listeners, millions of listeners out there, hello. Uh, Matthew sends me the uh, the email link to this uh the, 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 the site the that, ho- that hosts <laughs> this wonderful professional broadcast um, and I have to say without that I would be I would be absolutely fucked so <laughs> thanks Matt thanks for hosting this uh, thanks for organising the hosting of this thanks for editing it and thanks for you know diligently nodding while I ramble on <laughs> it's like you've, you've, you've decided that nodding is a substitute for contributing um which is an, an interesting take yeah just occasionally nodding so that i know you can still hear me and that the sound doesn't cut out yeah yeah <laughs> brilliant anything to uh, um add this week matthew before i launch into some uh searching and revealing questions about your character and personality um no, not, no, not for the li- top of my head. No, nothing. Nothing to contribute. <laughs> good, good. So, we will return to the ongoing project of, uh, because of your lack of contribution to the overall content, of uh, finding out more about you as a person, the man behind the myth. Who is this Matthew character? Matthew, who are your favourite band or recording artist? He's my favourite band? Yeah, or recording artist of all time. Uh, oh, that, mm, probably, I don't know, The Strokes? <laughs> the Strokes. <laughs> interesting. That's very interesting. Of all time. I mean, it, you know, fair fair play. I like The Strokes. <laughs> They're um, your favourite band of all time. Or, or um, uh, I know it sounds a bit, twee but craig david he's 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 quite consistent i would say in uh in some of the music he produces um like he did a he did a song with rudimental Mm. and that was quite good um so you know vis-a-vis he is the your favorite recording artist of all time yeah i suppose yeah the strokes my favorite band craig david favorite recording artist he is okay i mean that is just a fantastic pair of answers there what's <laughs> what's your favorite what's your favorite strokes album this would, is it <laughs> i would have to say the best of the strokes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Good. this is it excellent uh matthew you own a dishwasher don't you 
That's it. How do you know that? Yeah, because I'm sure I've asked you about it in a previous podcast. Oh, right. okay. Matthew, yeah. in your dishwasher, do you load your cutlery facing <laughs> upwards or downwards? Oh, cutlery. Sorry. Yes, cutlery. Um, cutlery, Matthew, yes. Not the cups. No, <laughs> no. That's not what I'm asking, Matthew. We'll come to cups another week. <laughs> Listeners, you're going to have to wait a little while longer to find out what Matt does with his cups. <laughs> um, they go in down. They go in the easiest way I can chuck them in. So does that mean yeah. there's a mix in there? So some are up, some are down? Generally, Joe puts them up. And I'll I'll toss them in downwards. Right, so you're deliberately contrary and inconsistent to the regime. You're, a, <laughs> you're the thorn in the side. The, yeah, yeah. I think the fly well, in because, the ointment. It's because I don't know how much of a material difference it makes. And all right, a sub question: Does it? Does do it you put? Do you correctly compartmentalise the cutlery that goes in the dishwasher? Do you put knives all together, forks all together, or do you just randomly toss them in? Oh, my God. We're getting into your... Answer the question, Matthew. We're not talking about me. Uh, We're talking about you. I I like a nice mix across all the basket holes. You're a maniac. (laughs) Absolute maniac. You're a brute. Oh, my poor Kelly. Surely... Well, Kelly doesn't go anywhere near the dishwasher. Doesn't go anywhere near the dishwasher. I I am the dishwasher manager, and I'll tell you something. It's people like people like you make me sick. Because why on earth would you not put, say, the knives all in one section of the cutlery holder in the dishwasher, so that you can grab them as a group and pull them out together, and then put them in their particular compartment in the cutlery drawer. Yeah. If they're mixed up, then that you're adding time to your, yeah. your you know your day. Your unloading process. Yeah. It's just there's that initial laziness that you then pay for down the line. <laughs> people people like you, you're sloppy. I'm 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 all in for short term gains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Right, so I'm so pleased I don't live with you. I'd be yeah. having the Craig David belted into my ear around the clock and I'd go to the dishwasher and there'd be this Just m- anarchy. Yeah, absolute fucking anarchy. <laughs> Stuff pointing in different directions, spoons with knives. dear oh dear final question Matthew Matthew how many football matches have you been to in your life approximately Uh, probably maybe in the 10 10 region in the 10 in the 10 that's why why I'm talking that's why I'm talking yeah Yeah. 10 10 10 King 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 Road 10 King Road Ipswich yeah (laughs) what are you doing now they're just going to go home and stay out of trouble Um, so you've been to around 10 football matches how many games do you reckon you've done Um, well there's a question, Matthew. I don't actually know. How many years have I been... I've been going to Liverpool regularly since 1998. I probably attend... Over that period of time, initially I was probably only going to eight or nine games a, a season, but it's been a, it's been pretty much every home game since I now go to all the Champions League games, FA Cup home games. At, I, I don't bother with league. So let's say an average of 23 times a year for 22 years so that's 506 and then I've been to at least another if you throw in the amount of Ipswich Town games I went to before that the odd England game and then just random games at Orient and stuff probably about 700 right yeah around 700 I'd say 
Yeah. Oh, and Liverpool away take... games. I forgot Liverpool away games. Throwing about another hundred of them. So yeah, probably about eight hundred. Right, but less than a thousand. I, I have a program. I have a yeah. I have a program for every. I could count my programs. I think there's only ever been. I'm, a, yes, I'm, obs- I'm obsessed. That'd be a good podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reading random extracts from my programs, talking about program trends over the years, price differential. How much did your first program cost in March 1989 at Upton Park between West Ham United and Norwich City? Uh, and how much did your last program cost for uh, what's the last game I? Uh, went to Manchester City at Anfield uh, at the beginning of the uh, the month. Yeah, uh, fascinating that would be. And I could look at like the types of adverts in there, the types of articles, the way in which the manager's comment section has evolved over the years. Yeah, whether 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 they are gen- genuine, credible pieces of uh, publishing or just uh, puff pieces, propaganda, club propaganda and bullshit. That are, no. I mean, they are essentially a waste of time. Most of the programs I own. I don't even properly read. I sort of skim through it. There might be like a, a sort of, you know, an article about focusing on a particular season that I'm interested in from the past. I read that bit, but I'm not interested in, you know, how a particular player was delighted and, and, and is with the spirit in the squad since the last game and, you know, how he loves wearing his new boots and shit like that. I mean, that's just, it's not aimed at me, Matthew. I'm not the target audience, but I still, still buy it. Buy. I still buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I still spend £3.50. It's the obsessive collector. You know, why Why do I keep every edition of Private Eye since I've subscribed to it, you know? Um, it takes up room that I haven't got. It, well, and, and, yeah, and, and, and Kelly nags me about it. It says, oh, I just need to chuck them away. But I haven't yet. I will do one day, Matthew. But the programmes, they're staying. That's, that's non-negotiable. Oh, my... You are on the hoarding spectrum, aren't you? Well, not not. I like a tidiness. I think hoarders often, you know, their their house is just a tip, isn't it? Whereas I I have tidiness uh, at all times. But yeah, but it won't take much, I reckon. To I do keep. I do. I do keep too much stuff. I I need to be better at throwing things away. I'm just. Uh, I just always look at stuff and I I think like publications. That's really what it is, you know. Like I I look at stuff and I think, oh, that'd be great to sit and look back on in 20 years time and then i never actually do <laughs> so what's the fucking do. point yeah <laughs> anyway here ends uh my questions that was uh another fascinating insight uh into your life we now learn that you love craig david and the strokes you're a you have no system with your dishwasher and you've been to as many as 10 football matches excellent <laughs> matthew let's talk about football because this podcast you may have noticed is called football unfocused matthew so let's fucking well. talk about football well, that's what I've been waiting for. Yeah, yeah. Although I guess I guess discussing football programs is is football related uh, in a way. Um, yep. Matt, noticed anything about football this week? Anything tickled your fancy? Well, can we talk about what what you mentioned before we start recording? Oh, okay. Yes, nice. Nothing like a bit of spontaneity. <laughs> yeah. So there's two things I wanted to discuss this week. <laughs> Firstly, an issue around Newcastle. Uh, kind of a little bit following on from what we were talking about last week. And then secondly, the overall subjects of what can loosely be described as punditry, uh, <laughs> modern punditry. Um, but yeah, so what, well, okay. I was going to ask, what did you notice about? I've told this, you everything this, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So this, new, this Newcastle thing. So anyone, <laughs> anyone who has not heard it, which I mean, if you're actually relying on this podcast for news, then fuck me, you've got problems. Um, but the Premier League clubs this week, well, 18 of the 20 Premier League clubs this week, have voted to 
prevent uh, or, or stop, immediately stop, what can loosely be described as, as, as money fixing, really. Well, that's my words, not the words that they, <laughs> they would use. Um, uh, let me just have a, have a look at the article. Yeah, the, the, the terminology is to block teams agreeing lucrative sponsorship deals linked to the club's owners. So essentially, the rest of the Premier League have looked at the um, deep pockets of limitless wealth that the Saudi regime have taken over um, Newcastle have access to and they absolutely shit themselves and they're worried now that you know this is going to be over time not immediately this is going to be a big threat to um, their dominance because it's you know like I said to you before this podcast started every team that joins that elite group uh, and is able to genuinely compete for players and for trophies and for league positions is another threat to Champions League um, placement and the money and the glory and the uh, coverage that comes with that. And, you know, it's that risk that frightens these clubs so much. And that's why the greedy bastards tried to set up the European Super League um, in April. Um, and that's why essentially that they're trying to implement this this now. But having it doesn't mean it's wrong because it isn't wrong. What they're, what they're essentially doing is they're saying, you, if you own a club, then what you cannot do is take sponsorship revenue from, um, a supposedly independent company that, you know, on very early analysis is clearly, uh, a part of that same organization or group. And the biggest example of that, uh, which interestingly would probably explain why Manchester City were the only uh, Premier League club not to vote in favour of this move, um, is Manchester City, because they uh, have caused all sorts of controversy since um, buying the club, I think it was in 2008, by spending, dispro- well, I'll, I'll phrase this carefully, disproportionately large amounts of revenue on sponsorship of things like stadium naming rights, training ground naming rights, shirt sponsorship. But it is coming essentially from the same source. So what you're doing is you're using one wing of the business or the empire or whatever it is to fund the other wing. And the reason that clubs do this, I think in the past they probably wouldn't have bothered or they wouldn't have even needed to kind of try and be clever about the way in which they do it. But financial fair play, when that was brought in, says that you cannot spend more than you generate, which initially I think people thought was a a positive thing because it would uh, prevent kind of, you know, everyone was saying, oh, stop these like oligarchs and stuff coming along and just using things as vanity projects and spending their money and making football spiral out of control. But I don't think it took long for the penny to drop that actually it was the, it was just the big traditional clubs with the biggest stadiums and the biggest revenue in terms of worldwide digital subscriptions and, you know, merchandise and all, all of that nonsense, ticket sales, um, protecting their, their dominance and, and trying to pull up the drawbridge behind themselves. And that's why it is really, really difficult now since that was brought in to justify large amounts of expenditure unless you can back it up by showing that you've got that income. And it, now, 
Newcastle will will make a lot of money because they're very very well supported. They've got a big stadium which is full most weeks. They sell a lot of shirts and all that, but their income will be absolutely nothing compared to the amount of money that those owners will want to spend. And they're going to have to find ways to increasing the uh, the, the turnover in order to justify what they really want to spend. Now, what's interesting about this is theoretically. It's no coincidence they're doing this now because they're doing it before Newcastle get the, the new owners get their first opportunity to dabble in the transfer window, which will open on the 1st of January. They're, they're doing it now because this, this could, this genuinely could, if it, if it becomes a long-term thing. At the moment, it's a month. They've, they've blocked it for a month while they kind of discuss it further and decide whether they want this to be for the longer term. Um, but it could it could genuinely limit what Newcastle could spend. So you could have these owners now who have bought the club thinking, okay, well, we're just going to follow the Manchester City model. We're going to kind of, you know, fiddle the books to a certain extent. We're going to use uh, some some Saudi um, firms that we own or elements of the Saudi royal family or some real estate company or whatever. Probably the most kind of, you know, um, Western acceptable uh, element that they can kind of you know dig up from their limitless resources. Yeah, it's just it's, it's going to be really interesting because are these are these owners still will it will it throw out a business plan or would they have anticipated this and do the Premier League ultimately if this ends up being tested because they you know the Saudis are not they're not just going to take this sort of stuff lying down they, they will they might maybe go to the courts and say that this is a, an unfair limitation on their ability to trade. So it won't be the end of it. It's not like the, the Premier League clubs can just, you know, block um, their their kind of right to practice and they'll just walk away. But it is interesting that they've obviously realised that, that they were possibly a little bit asleep at the wheel when Man City were first taken over and they don't want that to happen again. Because in the time, in the, in the 13 years um, since that Man City takeover... The clubs at the very top have got even more powerful and more financially um, uh, strong. And the standards required to kind of succeed at that very top level has got greater and greater and greater. And Man City have just set the bar on so many levels. They're, they're, they're the absolute elite now at pretty much every stage. You know, youth development, their academy is just absolutely amazing. The, you know, the things they've been able to do with the stadium, the players they've brought in, everything. They are... They are the benchmark, but they are. What it is quite interesting when you look back and you realise that they were, they were essentially able to do that because at the, in the early days, uh, you know, two thousand eight, nine, ten, eleven, they were almost unchecked, able to just buy, spend whatever they needed on players, and they weren't. They weren't buying like a hundred million pound players. I think even now their their record signing is you know relatively modest compared to. I can't remember what exactly it is. It used to be like Mares. It was only sort of fifty or sixty million. I think maybe they spent a little bit more on Dian. Oh, it, of course it's Grealish now, isn't it? A hundred million, but that was only last summer, and that's the first time they've spent that. You know, when you compare that to what their city neighbours spend on players like Pogba and Maguire, then you know it's um, it really shows demonstrates how astutely Man City have. Um, spent their money um, over the years and have built a, a squad that is, just, you know, of unimaginable quality and have, you know, redefined really the excellence at the very top of, um, of English football. But would they be in a position now to kind of, you know, manage... They, they now balance between high-quality purchases, kind of astute, high-quality, expensive purchases, but also bringing through 
academy products. There was a lad who scored, who came on and scored in the Champions League um, on Tuesday for them. Who apparently, is absolutely incredible. Obviously, Phil Foden is a, a high-profile um, and exceptional Man City youth product. That's an academy that is now functioning way above what it would have been able to be before because of the investment that's been made. Um, but they that those initial that initial expenditure um, would not potentially have been possible under the financial fair play rules if they hadn't been able to get away with, you know, calling the Etihad the Etihad and um, and and then spending loads of money on having the Etihad Etihad Airways plastered all over their shirt. So watch this space. Maybe it won't be as simple as everyone kind of thought um, with Newcastle and then their kind of inevitable surge to the to the elite over the next five years. They will, of course, get stronger. Everything about the club will get stronger. Their 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 facilities will improve. No end. They'll suddenly start, you know, be much better at developing players, and they will buy high quality players. But it's how much they're going to be able to do that, and what whether there's going to be after some some sort of creative fine um creative accounting in order to kind of justify what they want to do um but the other thing i wanted to uh, talk about matt is just some stuff i guess it's you know slightly more lighthearted really but it's but it is it's annoying right it's a, it's it's uh, on one hand amusing and on the other hand uh, annoying and it's the, the kind of what i regard as the, the low standards of punditry um, since the start of the season, but including the summer. Now, on one on one end, the punditry that's available now on Sky and BT and uh, Match of the Day and various podcasts and on Five Live and all this sort of stuff. I won't include Talk Sport because it's shite and it's aimed at morons, um, <laughs> and they accept um, sponsorship money from the Sun. Um, but, but. Um, but yeah, but on one hand, all of that, that the quality of of kind of analysis that you get from that is probably better than at any point in in the history of you know football coverage or sports coverage. But I guess maybe a price to be paid for that is that there's such a a, a, um, a sort of deluge of it that that quite a large percentage ends up falling into. Um, sort of surface level reactionary bullshit. And just some things I've noticed since the beginning of the season. One of my one of my real bugbears is I, I look, I know that football as in all sport, as as in a lot of other things in life, are is an emotional thing and it is also um something that that um provokes kind of strong and emotional reactions, right? That That's fine, and I, and I totally get that. But it's the, it's the way in which pundits, who most of whom have been professional players themselves, so they know the game, they understand the workings, they understand the intricacies of form, they understand what, what makes a, um, a squad and a club a, a function and achieve or underachieve, fail, but yet they they seem to so consistently fall into various traps. And I don't know whether it's just a stupidity, kind of, or needing to fill airtime. So, kind of, you know, if if you you you, you have to kind of fill the airtime, so you're just going to have to say things that you end up contradicting yourself if you kind of talk <laughs> for long enough, or an actual conscious uh, clickbait uh, tactic to just stoke up people and get get kind of you know debate going the whole time get people to ring phone-ins and get on social media and all that all that shite 
<laughs> but so so in the summer, right? In the summer, uh, in the build up to just before the Premier League kicked off, I watched stuff on Sky and BT. I listened to countless um, kind of debates and preview shows on on Five Live, and they were all talking about who was going to win the Premier League or who were going to be the main contenders to win the Premier League this season. And I didn't hear Liverpool's name mentioned once. Not once. It was Chelsea and the two Manchester clubs. Now, the majority of this isn't going to be about Liverpool. I'm, I'm only going to mention Liverpool on this particular one occasion. <laughs> because because I personally don't think Liverpool will quite win the league this season. But to not even bring them into the discussion is absolutely ludicrous. Because last season, Liverpool went into it as reigning champions and the year before that, European champions. They'd, and they'd got over 90 points in both of those seasons. They then had a season played behind closed doors when they lost four central defenders out of four, three of them for the vast majority of the season. Now, you give that problem to any club in the league, no matter how much money they've got, you give that problem to Man City and they're going to struggle. And Liverpool had an unprecedentedly bad spell of form. But then they recovered. I think they won nine out of the last ten games of the season uh, and uh, still finished third. They still finished third. right? And that was with one hand or even both hands tied behind their back uh, for the whole season. They still got to the knockout stage of the Champions League and uh, finished third. But yet no... And, and then over the course of the summer... They didn't buy, they bought one central defender, Canate from uh, RB Leipzig. But more significantly than that, they got all of their players that were underperformed last season fully rested because the two lads uh, from Africa and uh, one Brazilian had an actual summer off from the forward line, which they hadn't had in, in ages. And they got themselves in peak physical condition because they looked tired and exhausted last season. And this, all of the defenders who'd been long-term injured were back, fully rehabilitated and ready to go. So you, therefore, you've got a squad that are fit and ready to go who had, in the two seasons prior to that, won the league and the Champions League. But on the basis that they had a, a poor run of form over about a two-month period last season... They were just completely left out of the conversation. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it kind of takes the pressure off and it allows everybody to focus on the clubs who have spent big in the transfer window and it kind of puts pressure on them. But it is stupid. It's absolutely stupid because what it demonstrates is how pundits get so fixated and excited with... It's like kids on Christmas Day with, oh, who's spent big? Who's 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 made the most smart... Uh, purchases in the transfer window as if that's what wins you league and it doesn't I was trying to think before the last time one or two players purchased in the the summer transfer window made such a monumental difference to that coming season that it genuinely was the the the, the difference between winning the league and not and I can't think of one since 2013 when 2013 when uh, Robin van Persie was cannily snapped up by Alex Ferguson from Arsenal uh, it was an almost Leeds Cantona-esque you know caught with your pants down ludicrous mistake of allowing your best player who just won PFA player of the year to go to your biggest rivals and then he 
in the in the season twenty sorry, it's actually twenty twelve, twenty twelve thirteen, he in that season was genuinely almost on his own that that took um took Man United to win to winning the league. And he he really did. And that, and it papered over all sorts of cracks about what what actually what a weak and deteriorating squad it was. It allowed Ferguson in his last season to to leave with the glory of winning a league title. But it was you know, you look at the, the score lines that season and the amount of games that were one nil or two one, Van Persie, Van Persie, Van Persie. It was back to the days of Cantwell. They were so reliant on him. And you don't you know, the thing that tells you that story is that the the moment then that Ferguson retired and disappeared with exactly the same squad, they then they, they fell off a cliff and haven't been anywhere near winning the title since. And um so that is the last time I can think of um a summer transfer genuinely winning a team the league but still we have to listen to these supposed experts every single summer telling you that this club's going to win the league because they've bought because they've made a flash signing about which they've been able to produce a lorry load of content and that's what's going to do it Chelsea are an interesting one now Chelsea probably will win the league this season I think I think it's probably likelihood over the course of the season going to be them or Manchester City however there's been such bullshit in terms of the way in which they've been covered so far this season. They went from, because they had this remarkable turnaround last season under Tuchel. Uh, and I remember when Tuchel was given the job, by the way, these pundits who were all sticking up for their, their best mate, Frank Lampard, who they, you know, they, they love because he's, he's English and, you know, he's potentially Chelsea's greatest ever player and he deserved longer, despite the fact that he had a, 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 a squad of players, uh, over which he had overseen a, um, a I think the, from the previous summer, a, an enormous uh, splurge in the transfer market. They bought like Werner and Ziyech and all, all these other kind of elite players. They got Thiago Silva in, and he, I think he had them something like eighth in the league. And it, there were still people saying that it was wrong that he'd been fired. I mean, they were such a soft touch. Tuchel comes in, completely transforms them without having to buy a single player, which shows you that they. I guess the ultimate point I'm making is that the thing that dictates whether you're successful or not is coaching and management. Coaching, management, organisation, having the players kind of fully briefed, motivated and pulling in the same direction. That's what dictates it. You could have the best players, most expensive players in the world and you are going to go nowhere unless you've got the right manager or the right regime or the right culture at that club. And Tuchel went in and demonstrated that because with exactly the same tools that Lampard had, he transformed them and by the end of the season, they're European champions and qualified for the, the Champions League. But yet this seat, so then they then improved that even further. They brought Lukaku, who's a, you know, a renowned, formidable centre forward, um, has scored everywhere he's gone. He goes to Italy, um, and, you know, rips that league up for a, um, a couple of years and then, and then comes back and everyone's like, well, then the one thing they lacked was a proper center forward. And now they've got him. They're going to be absolutely unstoppable, but they lose. They then start the season like a house on fire. They look absolutely brilliant. They lose to Manchester City. And then all these same pundits are coming out saying, Oh, have they been found out? They've, they've hit a wall. But then I think they struggled. They kind of labored to a win against Southampton. They only just beat. Uh, Brentford last weekend but the fact is they still won and they've had the toughest fixtures of any club at the beginning of this season and they are top of the league but yet you're you're hearing people uh, you know starting to sort of you know chip away at them and sort of you know criticise them and go back on the things that they were saying literally two weeks earlier 
Arsenal. You know, Arsenal, on the first day of the season, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville, they they put in quite a poor performance away at Brentford. But they absolutely went to town on them, saying that they, they were they were calling them sort of pathetic and gutless and all of this stuff, tearing their performance apart. And then two or three weeks into the season, Arsenal hadn't won. But, they, you know, they, they had a... Tough opening game in terms of it's always tough to play a newly promoted team who are also happens to be a very good side away from home. First game of the, you know, actual first game of the season in terms of the only game on on a Friday night. And the, the kind of enthusiasm and the emotion around that. I think that, you know, any, any opposition team can go there and kind of get beaten essentially by that, that just wave of, uh, kind of emotion and energy. And they did, and Arsenal fell into that trap that day. And then they they then lost comprehensively at home to Chelsea, the European champions and probable league champions this season. And they go into, I think, I think they then failed to win the next one or lost the next one as well. So they essentially went into the first international break with no points and had a game against Norwich straight after that, where you know people were saying that it was a relegation. I mean, some people were saying it. Sort of tongue in cheek, but I, I, there were people who properly thought it as a relegation six pointer. And since then, Arsenal, I don't think they've lost a game. And they, 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 they smashed the crap out of Tottenham the other week. And, uh, they've, they've performed with a lot more guts and they're showing a lot more solidity at the back. And even the last two games, they haven't been amazing. They've still got two draws and they're games that they possibly would have lost. And anyone with half a brain or just an element of kind of fairness or a sense of perspective, could have looked at the Arsenal team on the opening game of the season and recognised how many players they were missing through injury and through lack of match fitness because they hadn't had a proper pre-season and then used that to put into context what that defeat to Brentford or the defeat to Chelsea actually represented and how it wasn't, you know, and they could have all been saying, well, let's have a little look at it after 10 games once they've, they're fully functioning and have got all their players. But they didn't do that, did they? they so, so as a result, before the Monday night game of this week, Gary Neville is having to sit in the Sky studio and in the first line of kind of pre-match um, analysis slash build-up, he's having to almost apologise. He sort of said, I went too early. I admit I went too early. And having to, it's like a humiliating backtrack. And if you don't go overboard because you want to create attention in the first place, you wouldn't have to do that. You're experienced enough. And, and Gary Neville is highly intelligent, the man I've got great respect for as a pundit. So he's better than that. But he still fell into that trap. You know, you look at like Newcastle. Newcastle have been taken over. They're now potentially going to be one of the richest and most powerful clubs in the world. Yet the build-up to last week's game against Tottenham was absolutely ludicrous. Nothing has changed at Newcastle. They sat their manager yesterday, but up until the game last weekend, nothing had changed. They had the same manager, the same set of players who had failed to win the first seven games of the Premier League season and were slap-bang in the middle of a relegation battle. But because they've got kind of now a wave of enthusiasm and optimism and hope for the future and excitement about what's to come and the players they're going to get in and the potential managers, the build-up was like suddenly that was going to make all the difference. So, you know, four or five out of ten players who plod along every week and have been taking the piss and underperforming for the last... In fact, that's probably a bit unfair. I don't think they actually are underperforming. They've just got a poor quality squad. So they were suddenly going to blow Tottenham apart. 
And, that, and of course they didn't. They got excited, they scored an early goal and then completely ran out of gas and got utterly outclassed. And that, the fact that that game ended 3-2 was ridiculous because Tottenham were, were probably five or six goals better than, than, than Newcastle on the day. But then we go to Tottenham. You look at the, the, the coverage that Tottenham have had, you know, this season. At the, before the season, they're going to lose Harry Kane. They haven't brought sufficiently good quality enough players over the course of the summer to inspire him to stay or to up, give them an upturn in fortunes. And Nuno Espirito Santo wasn't even their first choice as manager. So you're getting all this negativity. Tottenham are going to be awful this season. And then they go and win their first three games of the season, including a win against Manchester City. So all of a sudden, everything's rosy. You know, Harry Kane, you know, surely now must be rethinking whether he wants to leave. He didn't get his move. And then they go and have a couple of bad results. They lose to Crystal Palace. They lose to Arsenal. And all of the narrative is how long can Nuno stay in a job when he's uh, uh, clearly not the first choice of the owners? Has he got the backing of the owners? Are the fans aren't going to take to him? And they're tactically naive. They're negative. They're not playing in a Tottenham way. And then, of course, they then have another couple of results and it can, it's just, it's just bullshit. Just show some fucking, I think in any other walk of, imagine if you were uh, at work and you were responsible for the financial performance of a department or any sort of performance of a department or make, making projections or submitting budget projections or something like that. And you would go into your line manager or your audience, um, and making projections one day that you were then completely contradicting the, fo- the you know the following day you'd, you'd lose your job you'd have absolutely no credibility but it doesn't stop any of these like fucking idiots from just falling into this trap and the worst of the lot by a million miles has been the coverage around Manchester United uh, 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 this season now they have been a pretty turgid side for quite a number of years. They've been a side that have been run on the basis of bringing in high-quality, expensive, high-profile individuals and hoping that that will solve the problem that is caused by their complete and and evident lack of plan, lack of a clear, cohesive plan, lack of a high-quality enough uh, manager, um, lack of a proper modern structure within the club in terms of having that, that kind of, you know, director of football or or um or whatever you know terminology individual clubs to, to call it and just always thinking that the, the 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 big bucks glitzy buy will solve the problem and they've been falling into that trap for a number of years however they had a very good season last season but ended it on a bit of a damp squib by failing to win the um, Europa League and having a wobble you know league form wise towards the end of the season you know winning the Europa League I think would have been a big deal for them because it would have got the the pressure off uh, their manager to to kind of win a trophy and to stop that being always thrown at him um but they you know despite coming second they were still a long way off Manchester City they were still a club that failed in the Champions League and ended up in the Europa League the only reason they were in there in the first place and getting to the final was because you know they they got dumped out of their Champions League group so they sign a couple of players in the summer, but they've still got the same manager, the same lack of structure, the same lack of organisation, and all of the problems that uh, that they've had for a number of years. Yet, almost to a man, every pundit was saying that it's going to be them or one or two other clubs that are going to win the league uh, this year. Then they sign Ronaldo, who, of course, as everyone knows, is the greatest footballer ever to you know play the game, um, and. They're going to blow everything away. I, I was 
travelling up to Liverpool for the August Bank Holiday weekend for the game against Chelsea, and uh, we the trains were um, down, so we had to drive. We don't normally drive, and sitting listening to the Friday night preview show was absolutely no. It was you'd think that no other club existed. It was the they they have t- two hours every every Friday night. The first full hour. They only spoke about Ronaldo and, and they just got various guests in to just repeat the same thing is this is what's going to make the difference. They're going to win the league now, aren't they? He's the man for the big occasion, blah, blah, blah. Now he may well be, maybe they will win the league. I'm not saying they're not going to win the league and I'm not doubting that Ronaldo is an, an incredible era defining footballer because he is and they could win the league with the collection of players they've got. They've definitely got a good enough individuals in their squads to win the league. Um, but then. There's a complete overreaction to his initial performance. You know, he scored a couple of goals that were essentially down to goalkeeping error, one in particular on his debut against a god-awful Newcastle side. But then he pops up and gets another couple of handy goals. And you're kind of thinking, okay, so the wave of momentum is still going. But then on the flip side, there is a ludicrous overreaction when they then hit a couple of hurdles. They lose at home to Aston Villa. These things happen. You know, clubs do lose. You know, even the very best club, Like in recent years, Man City, when they've been really dominant, I can remember them getting, you know, properly turned over at home to like Crystal Palace and Wolves and stuff. So these things do happen. And they lost at home to Villa and they missed a last minute penalty. And it was all this ludicrous sideshow drama about, oh, Bruno Fernandes, did he miss that penalty because he could feel the pressure that Ronaldo was standing behind him and is now Ronaldo going to be taking, stepping up and showing his seniority and taking the penalties in future? And then they then struggle in the next sort of couple of games. I think they they um, they lost, uh, obviously, to Leicester last weekend and they uh, were very nearly beaten at home to Everton. I think that game ended in a draw. And they lost a... Um, they put in a very poor performance in a Champions League game, which which they scored a last-minute winner. And and so the narrative that was completely obsessed with how Ronaldo was going to win the league for them <coughs> goes a full circle to he doesn't press from the front hard enough. He's now undermining the way that the club needs to play in order to achieve what they need to achieve and be a, be a genuine challenger. So he goes from being the inspiration and the difference maker to the problem by the same pundits within about two weeks. It is ludicrous. If you believe something enough to say it on a national broadcaster, then have some balls and some strength of conviction and stick to it. And if you think that that purchase is going to be the difference and make them win the league, then don't be so short-sighted as to be completely thrown off track by two or three underwhelming performance. Because if you know anything about football, especially if you are a former footballer, professional footballer at the top level, you know that a season is a very, very long process with swings and roundabouts. And no, even even in recent years when you've needed 90-odd points or more, you know, even 100 points to win the league title, even those seasons, you can, you can you know, you speak, you speak to some Liverpool fans about the year that, in 18-19, when they got 97 points and missed out on the title by, by one point and only lost one game all season they will still despite the fact we won almost every single match in the whole season they'll still be able to pick oh that draw that performance was unacceptable blah 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 you know we drew away with West Ham we drew at home with Leicester blah 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 so but that goes to show that there a season is a is a 
a, a, a very, very long marathon of ebbs and flows. And if you're any decent, uh, if you have any sort of professional credibility as a pundit and you want to make pr- predictions and projections and observations, then show a little bit of intelligence. Don't you? It's, I find it insulting to the intelligence of, of, of the, the listener or the, or the viewer that we have to just hear this bullshit week after week. And it just, yeah, it is, it, it makes me kind of, it, it, it doesn't keep me up at night with anger. Most, <laughs> most of the time I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. But it is, it is ridiculous, isn't it? But, but hey, so there's, there's, that's my observation for this week. And, you know, that's just, it. I'm certain that, you know, at some point in the next few weeks, Liverpool or Man City or someone's going to, you know, lose a couple of games unexpectedly or hit some poor form and the same coverage will happen to them. Mo Salah at the beginning of the season was, oh, is he going to be motivated? Does he want to sign a contract? Is he now, all those front three are going to be a bit old and Liverpool need to freshen it up. Why have they not signed any forward players? And those same people last week when he scored his second world-class goal in consecutive games are now saying, genuinely saying that he's the best player in the world. The best player in the world. And they're the same ones who were, you know, uh, built, <laughs> jerking themselves into submission about Ronaldo, saying he's the greatest thing that's ever walked on a football pitch two weeks earlier. Ludicrous. <laughs> Ludicrous. I, I thought of something that we could talk about, but it's oh, a bit too long. Go on. Where it's about um, they were trying to encourage Newcastle fans not to wear headdresses and beards yeah i mean you shouldn't but... really need to tell people that <laughs> well we could keep keep an eye on that as the season progresses but i promise to keep this podcast below 50 minutes and i my god am i going to stick to it so, <laughs> so 40 minutes well 40 48 you know we're giving people top class content here matthew and on on the on on the content bombshell uh, after another week of uh, superb podcasting by the two of us, uh, it's time to say, "Oh, we will be having a." Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very traditional adherer to the uh, the, the the school school calendar. The school calendar, so there won't be a podcast next week because it's half term. Uh, so, regardless of whether I'm um, what I'm doing, I'm, you know, my partner's a teacher, so I'm off. So we'll see you in two weeks' time. Enjoy all the football. Until then. And it's goodbye from the both of us, isn't it, Matthew? It is. Bye. (laughs) 